Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, we believe in you. Holy Spirit, we believe that you are real. And Christ our Lord, we believe that you died and you rose again. Our hearts, we cry out to you. For some of us, we are really saying, help my unbelief. Help my doubting today. Speak into the secret places within me that are all fractured and broken. And Lord, we need you. We need the fresh touch of the Holy Spirit again. We need God the Father, his sovereignty. We need to trust in him again. And we need to know that Jesus has given us a new life again. And so we have gathered here today. We've gathered in the presence of Christ our Lord. We've gathered here with all the saints, God. And we come proclaiming your name. And we ask you, God, we ask you today, just make us look a little bit more like you today. God, we, we ask you today that in this room, there are people who are all over the map spiritually, that there are some who singing the name of Jesus is foreign and others who the emotions haven't caught up to their mind and it's just not where they're at and others who are just at that very peak high place with Jesus and yet there's a valley later on this year that they will come into. We are all at different places and the beauty of the Holy Spirit is that you can touch where we're at, wherever we're at, God. The spirit of the living God can chase us down wherever we are and that you'll meet us and you're called the paraclete, meaning you won't run ahead of us and you won't be behind, but you'll be right by our side. You have a side-by-side relationship with us. Since you're by our side, since you know where we are, God, would you, in your miraculous way, speak through a human Speak in such a way we know that you spoke to that place that no one else knew about. And I know he doesn't know me, but you know. Speak into the very crevices of our lives, God. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would carry the words of a frail and flawed man and allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate us and change us and make us more like you. We ask this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. It's good, it's good. Good to worship the Lord together. Well, uh, again, I do want to thank you here for being here if this is your very first time. Or if you're watching our video on our website, we praise God that you're able to check us out via video. But I'm just so thankful that we can come here and just talk about Jesus together. That's what this series that we're in is all about. It's all about Jesus. Why don't we say that together? What? It's all about Jesus. That's what we're talking about this entire year, Jesus. And the reason why we are investigating Jesus is because many times people have encountered the church but not encountered Jesus. 
In fact, much of their hurts, their disappointments, their confusion has come from the church. And it is amazing how the people who supposedly follow Jesus can distract you from Jesus. So it's important, particularly in this season of our world and in this time, that we investigate the real Jesus. What we said last week is that there is a temptation we have to invent Jesus. An invented Jesus do, does everything we think he should do, but he never contradicts us, and he can't transform us. He can't really change us. And so this is why Jesus, invented Jesus, can say that we ought to oppress people from the Bible because invented Jesus does things that makes us stronger, makes us powerful, makes us really invented Jesus, looks just like us. But real Jesus, real Jesus will transform you. Real Jesus, many of us still need to encounter real Jesus. And so because of that, we're going to spend our time looking in the book of Mark. Mark is an investigation of Jesus. Mark's whole goal was to investigate the life and times of Jesus. Don't get it twisted. The Bible is not just some spiritual book, which it is, but it is a historical document that is tested and proven that people investigated the words, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're doing all year in the book of Mark, looking at his life and looking at how he lived. I wonder if you have your Bible, if you'd turn to Mark chapter 1. Because in Mark chapter 1, we're going to see a continuation with what Jesus was doing and how he was living. In Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13, I'm going to read those for you. And I pray that throughout the weeks, you take your own time to do your own investigation of the life of Jesus, so that you would know this deep and know this in your heart well. Verse 9, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out the water, <clears throat> immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Verse 12, the spirit immediately drove him out of the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. An amazing scene there in the life of Jesus. Jesus has come on the scene and he's starting his ministry. 30 years of his life, nobody knew who Jesus was. He was just a carpenter's son. People didn't even recognize him when they saw him. They would say that's Joseph's son, but they wouldn't even say Jesus because people didn't know him. But now... Jesus is inaugurating his life of ministry. And in this inauguration, he goes out to see John, who we studied last week, and he's out in this desert-like area. And when he goes and sees John, he gets baptized by him. And the Bible says two things happen there. The Spirit of God comes down, and it, it's on him like a dove. And then the Bible goes on to say that a voice comes from heaven. And this voice speaks to Jesus and says, this is my son. Now, here, we see God the Father speaking to the son, affirming the son. 
And then we also see the spirit of the living God descending upon Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see all of them in one. To understand Jesus, you must understand the complexities of this scene. The complexities of this scene is this. There are three persons, but one God. That's what we just sang. Three persons, but one God. The Bible will give us this imagery like this, and the theologians have tried to wrap their minds around trying to explain this moment. And so, historically, they've used the word trinity to express this moment. Now, it's very difficult to try to understand, you see, because trinity is tri, three, unity, one. And so we're saying there's one God eternally existing in three persons. We're not saying that there's three gods. The theologians would say that's tritheism. That's not what we're saying. We're also not saying that there's one God in three forms. That would be what they call unipersonalism, or another word would be called modalism, because what we'd be saying is that God moves in different modes. At one time, he's the Father, one time, he's the Son, and at one time, he's the Holy Spirit. But we see them all corresponding with one another in one moment together. And when we generally explain the Trinity, we generally are explaining modalism. And that's what I've done in the early part of my ministry. The early part of my ministry, I thought I was so smart, you know what I'm saying? So I would, you know, I would have a a bucket of ice and I'd have some water and I'd be like, you know, see God, the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, it's easy, I can explain it. You get ice, right? That's like the Father word. Then you get some water and that's like the Son, boom. Then you get um, vapor, and that's like the spirit. You can't see it. See, ice, water, vapor, blah. And I felt so good. And I did that for years. I would explain that for years. People were saying, amen. They would give me pats on the back. I felt good about myself. Went to seminary. In the seminary class, the teacher was like, you know, one of the hardest things to do is explain an eternal being with temporal analogies. I was like, oh, that's true, yeah. And I was like, he's going to give me a good analogy. He's like, I really can't think of a great analogy because he's like, for instance, people use ice, water, and vapor. I was like, yeah. So I was like, oh, what's he about to say? He's like, yeah, you know, because sometimes people say, like, God is ice and the sun is, like, water and then vapor is spirit. I was like, yeah. And he's like, the problem is, is that ice is not water at the same, it's not melted water at the same time, nor is melted water vapor at the same time. No, ice is ice, water is water, and vapor is vapor. It cannot be those three things at once. Your temporal analogy cannot speak to this eternal being. He goes way outside your margins and your paradigms. He is not in our dimension. So don't try to explain him in our dimension. I understand. I get it. I was with my kids the other night trying to explain it. They're like, you don't make sense. I was like, I don't. I don't make sense. I was like, he's just God. You know, and this is when one of those like I told you so moments. So I just told my kids to be quiet. But the point, <laughs> the point I, I want to bring out in this is that I, in preparation of this, I, you know, thought to myself, you know, I want to be able to break down the Trinity. But, but there's something happening in here that, Oftentimes, we get lost in our desire to be theologians and, and explanations that we, we lose the essence of what's happening here. Jesus is being affirmed by his Father. 
The spirit, the Bible will go on to say, the spirit who generally submits to Jesus is actually leading him out to the wilderness. In one moment, Jesus is submitting himself to the spirit, but the spirit is always exalting Jesus, and Jesus is always exalting the Father, and they have this incredible dynamic. They are mutually sacrificing, mutually submitting, coexisting, and it's this beautiful picture of community operating together. And it's crazy because when you look in this picture, you have to understand that that self-sacrifice, the, the idea that Jesus is submitting and the Spirit is moving, it, it shows us a picture that if God is three in one, then God is a community all by himself, an interdependent community, a community that's beautiful and loving, a community that gives us this picture. John 17, 1, Jesus is praying. He says it this way in this prayer. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Highlight me, God. Highlight me. Acknowledge me. Make people notice me. Magnify me. People that don't see me, help them to see me. But I only want to do that so they see you. Notice me so they notice you. Glorify me so they glorify you. Highlight me so they highlight you. And you see in this dynamic, in this relationship, this give and take. I want to be noticed so that you're noticed. And what you are seeing there is love. The Bible says in, in 1 John 4 that anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. What you're seeing there, that dynamic, that, that triune dynamic is a loving community, people that are being satisfied from the relationship yet sacrificing for the relationship. They're giving and they're taking and the crazy thing is that people, because we are made in the image of God, people feel this is the way life should be. They feel that this is the way that community should be. When I'm with my kids out at dinner, we're on a good night when my kids aren't wilding out. And my wife and I, if we're doing good, we're always doing good, but there's those moments where we're not doing good. And if we're having that good day, right, and we're out at dinner, and I'm, my wife is telling me about her day, and I'm listening, I'm taking in, and she's telling me about her day, and the kids are sitting there, they're just taking it all in, and we're having this like bounce back and forth, back and forth. You know what people always do? They come over and they go, you have a beautiful family. You guys are beautiful. And they're not talking about the way we look. They're saying the way you interact with one another, it's beautiful. I, I like the way that you guys are with one another. It's wonderful. You see this on teams. You see this dynamic where there's give and take, where people are sacrificing for one another and caring for one another, the way they are trying to love and lift up the other person. When you are on the outside and you see other people having that, you're like, that's the way it should be. But the reason why you know that intrinsically inside of you is because you've been made in the image of the God of community, the community God. You've been made in that image. You've been designed by that God, that self-sacrificing God. 
And so in light of that, what corrupts that image and what corrupts that community is a self-centered spirit. A person who is only a taker. Give and take love. We are born takers. It is supernatural to give. And we are born wanting, pulling, taking from one another, but not sacrificing, giving, and being benevolent towards one another. And here we see that God is love. God is a community. God is that sacrifice. And God has made you that way. He has made you for community. It is impossible to say you love the God of community and not be in community. It is impossible to say you know the God that is love and not be loving. It is impossible to say you know the Jesus that sacrifices for people but not sacrifice for people. It is impossible, and he's saying, if you know him in that way, if you know that being, then maybe he hasn't had the kind of effect on you because the love of God, essentially what 1 John 4 tells us, essentially what it's saying is the love of God is so contagious that you cannot, there's no immunization for it. You can't shake it. You can't be around him and not catch love because he is a community. He is a loving community. He is a loving community. To know God is to know a loving community. And if you know a loving community, you must love people in community. That is who God is. And it is the temptation of our soul to isolate. It is the temptation of our soul to live as an individual and to be driven. Because let me be clear about this. If we were to summarize who God is and say God is love, then we can say that New York is a hustle. And just as the God of love, the God of community affects you to be loving, New York affects you to be a hustler. It affects you to be driven, to be isolated, to be on your own and to not self-sacrifice, but rather to self-preserve. I was in North Carolina, man. Whoa, what a different place. Now, I lived in North Carolina for seven years. My phone number still is a North Carolina number. But it's funny, being here three years, the effect that it has on you. I am a more aggressive person you people have changed me. <laughs> you are, when you are in the city, because things, a parking space is competitive, praise God. Because things, the simple things are so not simple, <laughs> they're hard, it makes you fight for little things. And no matter how kind you think you are, you become a fighter or you don't make it. And you become, no matter how naive you are, 
you will either be naive and be eaten up, or you will be naive and possibly become suspicious. But you become wary as a serpent, but you just don't make it to the gentlest dove part, praise God. It's constant. And you are driven to isolation because you got to work, you got to make it, you got to be driven, you got to beat other people, you got to be competitive, and you got to fight all the time for basic things. New York is a hustle. And how do we deal with this tension? of knowing that God is the community God, the triune God, but New York is a hustle. It is so intense. It wears you out. The very just being here makes you more intense. Well, it is important we understand that no matter how many mentors here in the city, how many people have given you advice, we never want human mentorship or human advice to trump eternal God's words, amen? We, we don't want that. We don't want just, hey, this is how you make it. We don't want that advice just to trump God's word. So if God's word says something, we always want that to win out. So in light of that, this is what God says. God looks at the creation and he hangs lights in the air and he flings over their trees and he puts fish in the water and he creates the stars of the heaven. And when he creates and he does all these things, there's something that God does. Every time he puts his creation there, he affirms it. He says, it's good. Lights, good. Trees, good. Fish, good. Makes man good. But then he says, ah! Genesis 2.18. Not good. It's not good for the man should he be alone. I'll make a helper fit for him. And, and so the beauty of this is that he ends up taking the rib of man and he forms and fashions a woman made for him. And so he has to sacrifice his rib in order to have a community made for him. And so the, the incredible picture here is that it, it, the, it does not essentially tell us that man was made for marriage. It is telling us that man was made for community. He was made, and in order for him to have that community, he had to have a sacrifice. He could not be the same way. He had to change. And that sacrifice led to being with people. Here's what we know, and here's what you won't hear. You won't read this on your blog, or you won't get this from your coworker, and people may not tell you that in the hustle, but he, these words are true. You, on some level, will have to sacrifice a level of accomplishment in order for relationships to work. You know, they don't tell you that. If you want great relationships and you want strong intimacy and connection, and I'm not talking about a marriage, 
I'm talking about friendships. I'm talking about people. I'm talking about listening. I'm talking about going places. I'm talking about working through conflict. If you want strong relationships on some level, you cannot envision yourself as trying to compete against everyone else because everyone else is trying to fight to get ahead, but you wanna have a life of with. You want people with you. You want people for you. You want people to know you. And there, in this city, are people who are wildly successful and desperately alone. Oh, they're desperately alone. They are on the train. They are in the bus. They are in a church and they are surrounded by people and their life is filled with crowded loneliness. Tons of people around them, very few in their life. Oh, I wish somebody knew me. But you're caking it though. You're making them ducats though. You want to be on, you want to be on the top. You, you, I tell you, you are going to be told day after day, hustle and people, don't worry about people, that'll happen. You are going to have to sacrifice some level of accomplishment in order to have great relationships. And so the beauty here is that God is love. Now, let me just say one last point and I wanna talk about this temptation scene here. We know where we get things confused is you, see, you, look, you, you have a conversation with yourself. You say, self, I'm a loving person because I do loving things. I am benevolent. I, I saw this, I, this woman, she, like she, she had ice you know, on her driveway. She had snow, and I shoveled it out. Me. You know, I called my mom, I called her on New Year's. I called her up and I talked to her. I FaceTimed my dad. I talk to people. I care for people. I'm kind. And this is the imagery. We won't, we're not going to put it up on the screen, but this is just the thing you have to realize. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about how you could give your body away to be burned but not be loving. It says you, <laughs> this is, it says, you could give away all you have financially. So just think about what you're giving right now. That's between you and the Lord. I'm just saying, think about that for a second. Now, think, now add all you have, okay? And he says you could do that and it not be loving. You could give your body, you could be a martyr and not be loving. You could be the greatest philanthropist and not be loving. So what is the mystery there? And the Bible goes on to talk about love is patient and love is kind and it bears all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You see, there's something about doing benevolent acts, but there's something much different about knowing how other people feel based upon what you did. In other words, I can do tons of great things. I could preach a sermon and people come up and they go, James, that changed my life. That spoke in. That was amazing. I could do something very benevolent for 40 minutes and still go home and not love my wife. Very possible. Because doing an act, doing a singular thing is not as hard as dwelling with fallen people operating with them day after day after day. 
The greatest picture of love is seen in how you respect your roommates and how you respond to your family. In other words, I know you're loving at your job, but tell me about the people that see you the most, that deal with you the most, that are the closest to you, because the God of community isn't just close to Jesus, they're one. And I can tell how Jesus feels about the Father because he sacrifices himself. I can tell how the Spirit feels about Jesus because his job is to magnify and glorify Jesus. And that's what he does. He constantly gives himself to the people closest to him. And it's much easier to go on a mission trip to Uganda and love the kids and you take the pictures and like, I love people. And then your roommates can't stand you. The story of love in your life is told by the people closest to you. The people that know you the most. The people that you have to give and take the most from. And the God of community has created you to sacrifice yourself for those people. And there is a temptation we have in this. If you look back in that verse, in verses 12 and 13, the scripture goes on to say the Spirit, after this incredible moment where the Father is like, I'm pleased with you, and I'm sure Jesus was like, thank you, this was amazing. I come about the water, this is an amazing moment. The Spirit immediately drives him to the wilderness for temptation by Satan. So, he has this mountaintop moment with God, and then all of a sudden, the Bible says he drove him. It, 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 the imagery there in Greek is that he pushed him, forced him, pulled him, said, this is what you gotta do. Out to the wilderness for temptation. The imagery here, interestingly enough, matches some of the imagery in Genesis of the creation. In the creation, you see God the Father's voice speaking, talking about letting there be light. And then you, earlier on, you saw the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. But after that moment, you go right to temptation. Adam, Eve, tree, and Satan. It is amazing, sometimes God allows you to have mountaintop moments, but beware, the valley is coming. After this mountaintop moment, the Spirit drives him out, and he is there being tempted by Satan. The theologians and Paul himself will say that there was an Adam in creation. But the scriptures will speak of Jesus being the second Adam. Speaking of a new creation, a new humanity, a new way that life will be. And so in the first creation story, in the first Adam, the first Adam is tempted, and his wife Eve is tempted. And while they're being tempted, they begin to have a conversation with Satan. You know, what did he say again? Tell me what he said. Just, just entertain me. What did he say? And they have a conversation, and it started to make Eve doubt the things that God had said. And once she began to doubt, there was this part of her that needed an explanation as to why God says what he said. 
and they fall into sin. But then you see Jesus in Matthew. You see him in the temptation. And what, is, what happens? It's not a conversation. It's probably one of the worst conversations Scripture ever records. Because every time he is tempted, he flashes back a quotation of the Word of God. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. He constantly regurgitates the things that God has said. And in some way, he is being tempted. Jesus is being tempted for those things. I believe Satan had a touch, a feel, a sense of the power dynamic that Jesus could have possibly have wanted because he was with God before the world began. And so he begins to tempt him with all these power dynamics. But Jesus never has a conversation. He just keeps saying, it is written. It is written. It is written. And I, I am going to talk about community in a second, but I just feel that we should just hang out here and just understand the nature of temptation and that oftentimes the way that we fall into temptation is that we need God to explain his benefits. How's this going to work out for me? Is this going to work out to my end and for my benefit, for my good? Is this going to work with my plan? And the people that grow the most and become the most mature over time are able to trust God enough to obey him without explanation. Where you don't need God to give you all the details and you need a stadium seat lighting to know, oh, I know you'll light up my path, but I need to know everything. God hides the future for us for a reason, to trust him. And so there you see Jesus responding and regurgitating the word of God. So why are we talking about temptation? Why should we even worry about that if we're talking about community and wrestling with it? Well, is this. The temptation we have as New Yorkers, you say, come on, Eve, come on, Adam. It's clear. He just had a conversation with you. He just said this. I mean, it's so clear. But the temptation we have as New Yorkers and as believers in the city is to be overwhelmingly suspicious and mistrusting, to be overwhelmingly isolated and to take in the things that maybe your friends and your family, maybe you heard it in a song, you hear things, you understand people, you know people lie and you have all these things going on in your head and yet the word of God is so clear, it's not good for you to be alone. You're gonna have to change your schedule to be in community. You gotta fight to be in community. And, and, and this is the wild part. You'll hear a sermon like this, say amen and still do the crazy things you do. Why? Because you're having a conversation with a lie. You are tempted. When you become an isolated person, when you push away from community, when you don't want to deal with your other people that are, that, are, that are dealing with you, when you're in that moment, there's a part of you that says, I'm not going there because I don't get anything from them. You know, I just don't, I mean, they're, 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 they're cool, but I just don't get nothing from them. You know, that person's all right, but it's just, I can't deal. I just can't give. I, I'm at work all day, and I can't give to another person. You know what I mean? I can't deal again. 
Their work, I mean, that person is work. You know what I'm talking about? I work and then their work and I just have enough work. And this is why you're lonely, possibly depressed, because you're not willing to enter the dance of community, the harmony of community, the give and take of community. It is chaotic yet beautiful. It is a dance. It is back and forth. And it is us and them. It is a sacrifice and you get, it is beautiful but crazy. The other night we had, um, we had a cool moment during prayer. Um, Mark was up here. He was leading and he was singing. It was really cool and we were having this moment. And then in the back, I think it was David, he began to sing. And as he began to sing, David began to sing to the point where Mark began to quiet down. And as David started singing, David from our, from our worship team, as he started singing, people started singing the song that David was singing. And we were just like, this is a beautiful, and there was a point where everybody was like, oh, this is so awesome. And Mark was like, yes, yes, yes. And then when David was done, Mark picked it back up, and we all started singing together. And there was this beautiful harmony. There was this back and forth where it was like, no, 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 it's all about Jesus. You go, you go, no, 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 you go, you go. Man, you go, you know, you're killing it right now. You go, yeah. And we're all just like, all both of y'all go, yes, this is amazing. Oh, Jesus, we're all in it, right? That was a beautiful moment. But isn't it crazy? I was watching a biopic or, you know, these things on um, like New Edition. And, and you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Those like stories of bands that broke up and all that. You know what I'm saying? And um, it's crazy. So I think I was sick one day and I, I kind of binge watched like six different groups. <laughs> Every group that broke up had the same problem. One person thought they weren't being highlighted enough, so they broke up the whole doggone thing because they were not getting the shine that they needed. In other words, they were saying, I don't want you to go, it's, highlight me, highlight me. Well, are you gonna give it back? No, I should always be out front. I need to be out in center. And wouldn't it be a crazy world if every planet tried to have every other planet orbit around them? When you have selfishness, when you have isolation, it corrupts community. It breaks our ability to do things together, to do things as one, to do things in harmony. When, you, when things have to work your way, when things have to be done the way you think. And you will never have great relationships if you are constantly mandating people to operate by your plan. You must learn how to decrease your plan so that you can increase relationships. You must learn how to be flexible with people. And the world tells you, go hard. Hustle, do your own thing. Don't trust people, fight for what's right. Isolate yourself, drive, 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 and don't trust the soul. And the word of God says, no, it's not good for you to be alone. 
Because that's not the way you were designed. That's not the way you were made, baby. You were made for people. And you were made to be existing with people simultaneously in a way that you are having to bend and and move and and shift to their will. And you are not looking to your own interests, but you are looking to the interests of others. You were made for community. And it is crazy to live isolated and love the God of community. So, the scripture in the, the last part where it talks about he is driven to the wilderness and Satan tempts him and all that. He's being tempted for power, for prestige. We are tempted to isolate, to be alone. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 19, it says we love because he first loved us. We become giving people in community because the God of community first came into our life and changed our life and he saturated us in grace and he saturated us in mercy and he saturated us in patience and he saturated us in kindness and he saturated us to the point that we became loving people ourselves. And if you are not a loving person, yet you have a relationship with God, that means you have not become saturated with the grace of God enough. You haven't experienced his love enough. You haven't allowed his grace to change you enough. You haven't been accepted at your worst enough. Because when you have been loved by a holy God and you know you are a wretch, it's inconceivable you don't treat people with kindness. It's inconceivable you wouldn't be patient with people. You become loving because you have been loved greatly. Oh, and yet, it is our challenge. It is our challenge to When I see people who know God and they are not loving, I feel for them. Not simply because they are not loving others, because you have just not been saturated in God's love enough. It is not flowing from your life. You don't believe truly in this God, this communal God. He changes you. And you want to get married. (laughs) Praise God. Saturate yourself in his presence. Saturate yourself in his community. Saturate yourself in the knowledge of the communal and graceful God. And you will become a more loving, benevolent person in 2017. You will flow with grace because you are flowing in grace. You will flow, out of you will flow love because you are flowing in love, the love of God. You say, How do I receive that? Jesus in that scene, that incredible scene, that scene of the Spirit of God coming down and God's voice bellowing down to him, he says, this, this guy right here, this is my son. You know, I was telling you about my daddy issues last week. Tons of them. And my dad, I preached, I preached at my dad's church. And when I preached at my dad's church, he said, this guy right here in front of everybody was like, this guy right here, I'd put him in any pulpit in the world. I was like, oh, snap. 
That's my father. My father said that about me. My father loves me. But you know what? The flaw in that analogy is that he, my dad, affirmed me after I did my best. You see, God the Father, while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. See, this statement right here, you are my beloved son, I'm pleased with you. When you accept Christ in your life, because he not only died for your sin, but he also gave you his righteousness, he gave you his resume, he gave you his identity, you are in Christ. The pleasure of God is on your life right now. God is pleased with you. And this verse is your verse. I am pleased with you. And I don't need to wait another day to tell you that, daughter, son. I don't need another day to tell you that. I'm pleased with you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I care for you so much. I'm pleased with you. And when you bask in the pleasure of God and the love of God and the grace of God and you, I haven't even done enough for you and you still love me, you become a loving person in community. And you start caring more because the supernatural care of God is flowing from your life. You become more patient because the supernatural patience of God is flowing from your life. You become a better listener because the God of prayer who's listening to all the saints simultaneously, that God is listening to your life and caring for your life and it flows down because he's given you so much and you end up giving to others. I leave you with the final analogy. One time, man, I went to this restaurant, my homeboy, he's a Christian, and he's like, man, there's a cool way to explain the gospel to somebody. He's like, watch this. So we go to a restaurant, and when we went there, he said, uh, waitress, come on over. He said, um, we're going to order our food. I'm going to order our food. And then once we order our food, can I get the check real quick? She says, well, do you have to leave? He says, no, we don't need to leave. I just need our check. She goes, okay. Gives us the check. Our food was like $35. Dude writes a tip for $70. Gives it back to her. He says, open it up. She goes, well, I don't want it. She, he says, no, 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 open it up. She goes, okay. She looks. She was like, wait a minute. I haven't, your foodies haven't even come out yet. You, you don't know how good it is. He goes, I want to show you something. Dear, I know you don't know us, and I don't know if you're religious, and I don't know if you know God, but I want you to know this. Wouldn't it be powerful if I told you God loved you in this way? You haven't done anything. You haven't gotten us our food. You haven't gotten us water. And yet, I've already given you more than you need. She sat there, and she was in shock. And so then... Boy, that was probably the best service I ever had in my life. <laughs> she was like, you need water? You need what? You need lemons? You need lemons? You need lemons? I mean, she was, you know, with the bathrooms. It was everything. She gave because she had been given to. She had received so much, and she received 
in the moment where she did not believe she should receive. And that's the key to being loving. Knowing you've been loved at your worst means you'll love people at their worst. You isolate yourself when people are at their worst. You become more suspicious when people are at their worst. You draw away, you fight. But what if you gave your best when they're at their worst? You might look a little bit like the Trinity. You might look a little bit like Jesus because he loves us at our worst. In this moment, we are going to have a, a time of communion. And the communion will give us this incredible picture of sacrifice. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you, Lord, for the beauty of your death on a cross. We ask you, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change us and make us look more like you. We pray, Heavenly Father, that in this moment, we would know you are pleased with us when we're not pleasing. Oh, you're pleased with us. You're pleased with us at our worst, God. You're pleased with us at our worst, God. You're pleased with me, God, at my very worst. You know all my secrets. You know all my doubts. You know all my pains, and yet the words bellowed to Jesus are, are flowing down to me. This is my daughter. This is my son. And oh, I am pleased with him. And we receive the pleasure of Christ. We receive the pleasure of of God today because we receive the grace of God. Now, God, we ask that during this communion time, show us a picture, show us a picture of how much you love us through this symbolic act. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, here we have bread and we have the drink. It is an incredible picture of the night that Jesus was betrayed. And on that night, Jesus was telling the disciples, I'm going to give myself up for you guys. My body is going to be broken for you. And he took bread and he broke it. I'm going to sacrifice myself for the benefit of your life. And he also took a cup and he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. You're going to now have a new relationship with God and you're going to be able to connect with him and it's all by grace and this is going to be by faith. And so I want you to know when you take this cup, remember the life that was poured out for you. Remember the body that was broken for you. Today, as you come up, we ask that you would take the drink and you would take the bread and you would not only think about you and Jesus. I ask for a second you would think about you 
and others. Think not only of the sacrifice done on your behalf, but also think about how you are sacrificing your life for others. Think about people. Think about if there's any conflicts with people. Think about the people closest to you that are connected to you. Think about those people. Pray over those people. Pray for the people that are far from God as you come and you receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. As you come, two things. If you have today, you're not sure where you are with Jesus, don't feel coerced. Don't feel pressured. Take your time. You're on a journey. We praise God for that journey. The Bible says that essentially if you are taking the bread and the wine, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. That may not be where you're at. But the other thing is that we want you to take your own time. So um, in your own time, come up, take the bread, take the drink, and take it in your own time. The worship team will be going. Now you can come up through these aisles right here and then go out through the back aisles, up through these aisles, back through those back aisles. But we also ask for others of you, you may need to go to the back to pray. You may need someone to pray over you. Pray for the people closest to you and pray that you would believe. And maybe you walk up to that person and you just say, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I don't trust people. And I got good reason not to trust people. Help my unbelief. And I pray that this would be a blessing of your soul. Jesus, even now, in our own time, Speak to us. Speak deeply to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.